All right, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We have a couple more weeks in this study that we have been doing on the Sermon on the Mount. And so, as we've been thinking about it, we've come to a place where Jesus is wrapping up the sermon. Now, like a lot of preachers, he takes almost as long to wrap up the sermon as he does, you know, he takes almost as long to introduce the sermon as he does to preach the sermon, and almost as much time to conclude the sermon as he does to do the body of it, all right? So that's, that's why I take so long to get in and get out of sermons, right? I'm just following the Sermon on the Mount pattern. And so his conclusion actually starts, uh, started with the judgment theme that we talked about last week, but then moves a little bit further in as we kind of go through this. And starting in verse 7, we see him talking about a verse. And one of the things that happens in the Sermon on the Mount especially, because there are so many quotable verses, lots of them get pulled out of their context and get made to say things that they didn't intend to say. So there are all these great one-liner verses in there. Uh, we talked about last week the judge not, lest you be judged. And immediately after that comes this ask, seek, knock. And people, most people, if you ask them, are those close to the Bible? Well, either they don't know or they guess they wouldn't be, but they're a couple of verses apart, and I think it's carrying on the same kind of motif. Verse 7 and following is a discussion of seeking the Lord, of pursuing God, of going after Him. Now what Jesus is going to kind of talk to us about a little bit is, why do we consistently pray and how do we treat others in light of what God is treating or how he treats us? As we kind of look at this in a minute, it's interesting because somebody has called this the parable of the stones and the snakes. Now there are very few things in life I like less than snakes. Just do not like them. Spiders I'm okay with. How many of you are don't like spiders? Now I'm okay with that. My... I have one child that if a spider is within the hundred yards of us, it is tragedy, right? I'm okay with spiders, but snakes, I don't need to see them, right? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's this kind of um, preposterous picture that Jesus has of a child asking a dad for bread and fish and instead getting a stone and a snake. This kind of ridiculous idea that we would ask for something and in return get something completely different and wrong from our parents. And he uses that to kind of say, why do we think that God intends to give us something that we don't need or want when we go to him in prayer? And it's not just prayer he's talking about. He's really talking about a lifestyle of asking and seeking and knocking. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But I ran across these quotes about prayer in general. And just kind of to let you know some kind of ideas behind the idea that prayer is effective. The first one comes from a guy named A.J. Gordon. He says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Watchman Nee once said that Satan laughs at our toiling, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Martin Luther 
said prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. And I think that Jesus' point in this passage in particular is that it is not about convincing God to do something. We talked about that Sunday some. But is instead tapping into the fact that God wants to help us. Now, we're going to talk about, too, that that doesn't mean that God wants to help us the way we think we ought to be helped always. But He wants to help us. I was thinking about this last night. You know, he compares it to a son and a, a dad. And um, I, I don't know any of you that haven't had children in a little bit or don't have grandchildren, but they have gone crazy with homework. Eli had about three hours of homework as a fifth grader yesterday, on top of about two hours on Monday. And do you know how hard it is to get a fifth grader to do three hours of homework? And I'm not talking about, like, three hours of I'm talking about it took us like five hours to do it it was about three hours but just that toil and if it was up to Eli you know what he wanted to do all day he wanted to play the Wii and go outside and get on the phone and play a little bit and watch some TV he didn't want to do any of that homework and so if it was up to Eli and he was asking dad he in fact said to me several times dad can I just take a five minute break well First of all, he does not take five-minute breaks. You know, how do I know that? Because I know in myself, I don't take five-minute breaks. Can I just play for five minutes? If it was up to Eli, he would play for like, you know, 12 hours. And I have to say to him, and be the bad guy, right? No, you have to study your wordly-wise spelling words. Dad, can I just take a... No. And so to Eli, it seems like every time he's asking, I'm saying, no. But I'm doing what is best interest of him. Because I know what's coming this morning when he gets to school. Sometimes we go to God and we think God's being mean when we say, God, I really want. And he says, no. But instead, he's wanting to give us the very things we need. Here's what Jesus says, verse 7. Ask. And it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Now the New Testament is written in this Koine Greek. That just means the common Greek. And they had different ways of writing than we do now. And the the way that this is written, what it really says is, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking continually doing it over and over again. In fact, one of the things that Jesus is saying here is be consistent in your prayer. As one one commentator put it, if at first you don't get an answer, then pray, pray again. Somebody said that the reason that people's prayers don't often get answered is because they stop praying. I heard a story about a little boy named Bobby who um, asked his dad if he could pray that God would give him a new puppy. And the dad said, well, your mom is going to have a baby soon, so let's don't pray for the puppy. Let's pray and ask God for a baby brother. The dad thought, this will be a great lesson. He'll pray for it. We'll have the baby brother. It'll be great. That's a prayer God will answer in a couple of months. I'm confident of it. Just pray for a brother. Bobby prayed for a couple of weeks and nothing, nothing happened. So he stopped. 
A couple of months later, Bobby's mom went into the hospital. Bobby came to visit his mom after. And when the dad pulled the cover back to reveal not one, but two baby brothers, the dad said to him, son, aren't you glad you prayed and asked God for a baby brother? And he said, yes, dad. And aren't you glad I stopped? Right? We've all kind of said those prayers that we pray a little bit, but we don't go all the way through. And the truth is, oftentimes, the prayers that we pray most consistently, most fervently, are the selfish prayers. When if you take the Sermon on the Mount, and remember that it's set in that, you have seek here that I think relates right back to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You have the ask here that I think is referring back to that whole Lord's Prayer that we talked about here a few weeks ago. We talked about here on Sunday that the purpose of the Lord's Prayer was, the model prayer was to ask for God's will to be done and God's kingdom to come. Not for our selfish needs to be taken care of. I remember as a child one time, I, I've told this story before but it's been a while. I, I remember um, I was playing soccer in my bedroom. With one of those balls that you you know the balls that you go into Walmart and they've got a big thing up and they're just they're kind of squishy but kind of hard. And I was playing soccer in my bedroom and I kicked the ball through the window. And I remember, as soon as that went through the window, literally getting on my knees and saying, "God, if you would just not let my parents hear that, and if you could fix that window for me right now." I will serve you for the rest of my life. Now, anybody here ever prayed one of those, I will never do anything wrong for the rest of my life kind of things, right? Well, guess what happened? My parents heard. And the window did not fix on its own. So for a year, I had a uh, Perry Como Christmas album covering up the hole in the window. And I dare not ask Dad if we could fix the window. He would say, when you raise the money to fix it, we'll get it fixed. So I just enjoyed the Perry Como visual every day. But we treat God like that. So I'm like, God, God, if you just get me out of this, if you just help me here, if you would just do this for me now. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Sometimes when the request is wrong, God's going to tell us No. Sometimes we ask for the wrong things. We think we really want our need, and our Father knows best. He knows those things we're asking for might even be harmful to us. Now, uh, there's a song that came out when I was in high school by a guy named Garth Brooks, right? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, right? Now, the theology through the whole song isn't that great, but that's a pretty good part. Sometimes it is. You look back on your life and you think, boy, how messed up would I have been if God would have said yes to that? Trusting Him. Often when God says no to one thing, He's got something better in mind. You know who I think about in the, in the New Testament? The guy that wrote most of the books in the New Testament. There's this part in there where he says that I have requested from God on several occasions, and some of you know this, to do what? Remove the thorn from my flesh. And he's chosen not to do it. I had a couple people ask me after Sunday. So, so what? So you think we ask God for things? 
I said, absolutely, I think we ask God for things. I think it says in Scripture, we ask, we seek, we knock. I think we do. But I think when we do, as I said Sunday, we are prepared for the answer to be whatever God deems appropriate. And so we say, God, I really want this. I really want that thorn out of my flesh. But I'm willing to hear no. And I'm willing to hear later. And I'm willing to hear yes. When the request is wrong, he says no. When the timing is wrong, he says wait. One of the classic conditions for all of humanity is that we are impatient. Right? Anybody here impatient? Yeah. I am. I want it now. I want it fixed. I want it over. We... uh at our house have a uh, a sink that has decided it does not want to drain. And we have Drano-maxed it. And we have Drano-foamed it. And we have liquid-plumbered it. And it still decides it does not want to drain. And we got to the point where we thought, you know what, I think we might need to call a plumber. It's been standing there. We've been washing dishes in the bathtub. Anytime we run the dishwasher, you know, getting the getting the the pot out and pouring it over the uh, deck so we get the water out, we don't flood the kitchen, you know, that's not a good thing. And when we called immediately, you know what I thought? Uh, they probably ought to be here in the next 30 minutes or so. I mean, we've been dealing with it for four days. They ought to be ready to help us. We're impatient, right? Now, they got there fairly quickly and... It makes you feel good when they can't solve the problem and they've got to call in the owner, master, drain cleaner with his camera on the end. Y'all, y'all go ahead and take up a collection tonight on the way out because I have no idea how much it's going to cost for them to put a camera down my pipes, all right? So sometimes we ask and we want it now. We want it right this. We've got to have it. And God says, not yet. And Jesus' thing here to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, is that answer to that. You just keep going. You keep going after it. You keep saying, God, this is what I want. And until you get a clear no, you get just a slow or a wait or later, you keep pressing towards the Lord. Sometimes we ask things and God thinks it's a great thing, but we're not ready for it. So sometimes He says, I'm going to wait till you grow. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That doesn't mean that God can't hear your prayer. It means He isn't answering because our spiritual goodness isn't ready to receive the answer. Ray Steadman, who's a pastor in the 20th century, told the story about growing up as a kid on the ranch. He said that one day he stole one of his dad's cigars slipped out on the side of the barn to smoke it. He heard his dad calling his name as he walked toward where he was standing, and Ray quickly tried to put out the cigar and hide it behind his back. His dad said, Hey, son, you want to ride me into town? And Ray said, Sure, Dad. His dad sniffed and said, Ray, have you been smoking one of my cigars? Ray shook his head. Oh, no, sir, not me. Ray didn't realize that rising from behind him was the smoke of the cigar. Dad looked at him and said, Son, you'd better not expect me to do you any favors as long as there is smoldering evidence of your disobedience behind your back. 
That's a pretty good line right there. Some of you, as a dad, I'm writing that down. Ray said he never got to go to town that day, and he never stole another one of his dad's cigars. Sometimes we go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what's going on. Lord, can you? And he says to us, I will never respond to you with the smoldering evidence of your disobedience rising from behind you. Let me not be sinless and perfect, but it does mean that our hearts and our directions have to be towards him. When the request is right, the timing is right, and we're ready, then God will say, yes. In Luke 7, we read about a Roman centurion that came to Jesus to ask him to heal one of his servants. And Jesus says, where is he? And centurion says, oh, you don't have to come to him. You're strong enough. You can give an order and he will be healed. Jesus says, go ahead. He's healed. When you get back, he'll be that way. You see, it says in here that we, we have to come to a place. And part of this asking, seeking, knocking, we have to come to a place where we realize our desperate need for God. Part of the reason prayers don't get answered is because we don't pray. Part of the reason we don't pray is because we think we can take care of ourselves. And until we come to a desperate understanding of the need we have for God, we don't ever have a sense of urgency in our prayers. Now, almost all of us will at some point or several points in our lives have a momentary realization of our need for God. There's a a Christian song out that came out about a year and a half ago that says we're all just one phone call away from our knees. Whether that's a diagnosis or whether that's a sudden death or whether that's a financial collapse or whether that's an exposed sin. We're all one phone call away from dropping to our knees and realizing our desperate condition and asking, seeking, knocking is the position of someone who is continually asking, seeking, knocking. It's the position of someone who realizes their desperate need and they're not ashamed to ask because they realize without the help they're asking for, life will not exist. And we have to realize that when we come before the Lord in that way, that we are coming before our dad, our father. I love this picture because I am a dad and I think about it or I think about my own dad. Now, he didn't always tell me yes, and he didn't always give me what I wanted, but I never doubted that my dad always had my best interest in mind. And my prayer is, even when they get mad at me, even when they don't understand, that my kids will never doubt that I have their best interest in mind. And my prayer is, as a dad, I will make decisions with their best interest always in mind. God says, which of you, If a son asks for bread, said, here's a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. And then verse 11 says this, if you then, though you are evil. Now, don't don't get all worked up about the word evil there describing us. It just means that in comparison to God, in comparison to his holiness, in comparison to his goodness, we are evil. If you know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? I think back on my childhood and I think about all the good gifts that my dad and my mom gave me. Things that I was aware of at the time as being good gifts. 
and things that I was completely unaware of at the time. God says, if you can trust your earthly parents to have your best interests, can't you trust me in everything you do? Do to others what you would have them to do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What God wants us to realize is this asking, the seeking, this knocking. Most of you probably didn't know that it's connected to the golden rule right there. The asking, the seeking, the knocking is to develop a relationship with the Lord that will allow us to go outside of our relationship with the Lord and have a great relationship with others. You see, prayer isn't primarily about asking God to give us the things we want or think we need. Prayer is about entering into a personal relationship with God, surrendering our will, getting to know Him better and better, and allowing that relationship to guide everything else that we do. Oswald Chambers, the guy that wrote My Utmost for His High, says, Prayer is not simply getting things from God. It's getting into perfect communion with God. We hear it said that a man will suffer in his life if he does not pray. I question it. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God within him, which is nourished not by food, but by prayer. One of the most ridiculous things that you could, could say when it comes to prayer is that you're scared that you won't use the right words. Because it is a conversation with a Heavenly Father that desires to have a relationship with you. It's not about how fancy it is or how official it is. It is it is more than a conversation, but it is a conversation. I love the picture in the beginning verses of the Bible where God creates Adam and Eve and puts them in this beautiful place of Eden. And the Bible says that apparently regularly he walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. Now I don't know. But I would guess. That might be their favorite part of the day. Do you have a favorite part of the day? That day you, that time you look forward to? I do. It's the ten minutes after everybody's in bed. Right? I mean, maybe for y'all. That, that's not a big deal right now. But for me. That's a big deal. That moment when you can. And then you think. I've got to get to sleep because it all starts again. But for Adam and Eve, I can imagine that that cool of the day walk with the Lord was just precious. Now, do you think when God arrived that Adam had a list of things he needed to take care of for him? No. He just communicated. They walked together. You know, that, you know the, the song, he walked with me, he talked with me. What God intends is for our relationship with him to be just a time of fellowship and getting to know and, and telling Him what's happening with us. And prayer really, that asking, that seeking, that knocking, is about changing us. So that we interact with other people the way God interacts with us. You see, we, we, we understand our need. We realize how desperate we are for Him. Then we realize not only are we desperate for Him, that He is a Father, but not just a, any Father. He is a Father that wants to give us good things. And we don't deserve any of it. When you enter into a meaningful discussion and prayer time with the Lord, it changes you. Bumper stickers was 
few years ago was, was very popular. It said prayer changes things. And that's okay. But it is more accurate to say that prayer changes people. You see, the point of conversation with the Lord isn't just for you to learn something. It is for you to do something. Evidence of that is after he talks about prayer and getting all this that you want, verse 12 says, so in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do for you. It's the golden rule, right? America still knows the golden rule. Now, some people have said the American golden rule has changed, and that is he who has the gold makes the rules. But almost everybody still knows this kind of phrase, do to others what you would have them do to you. We're really good at quoting it. We're really good at hearing it and going, oh, that's good. We're very poor at putting it into practice. And Jesus says the law and the prophets, do you realize that he's saying the Old Testament is summed up in the phrase, do unto others what you would want them to do for you. It seems a pretty simple concept, right? You just imagine... What do you like others, how do you like others to treat you? In fact, let's, let's do that, all right? Y'all, y'all can talk to me tonight. What are some things you like when other people do for you? And try to imagine for a minute, you don't know where I'm going after this, because you realize saying this is going to obligate you to doing that for other people. Let's just imagine that we don't know that yet. So what do you like that other people do for you? How do you like to be treated? Saying hello, just... General friendliness, right? That's it. That's all that covers it. it. Just if everybody would say hello, is that what? What? What else? What's that? One second. What'd you say, Eddie? Using turn signals. All right. <laughs> Respect. Okay. Say so, you know, looking out for safety and well-being. Be considerate. Being given the benefit of the doubt. We talked about that a little bit last week. Don't you want to be given the benefit of the doubt? You like it when people do things for you? I don't know. Uh, Susan and I tonight, we, I was with the plumber till 5.15. Who then told me the boss man had to come tomorrow because he couldn't fix it. So I got here about 5.30, ate real quickly. And we had to get the kids to class. And I looked at the table and realized we had five plates on the table unput up that's not a word i know but we'll go with it and i went to take ava who had resisted leaving her mom to go into the nursery she doesn't have as big of a problem leaving her dad to go to the nursery right now taking her and when i got back somebody had picked up our stuff and i know it wasn't susan i thought well that was nice i like it when people do stuff like that right you remember atticus finch my favorite book I read in high school, To Kill a Mockingbird. Remember what he told his kids? You don't judge people, you don't talk about people until you've walked a mile in their moccasins. Jesus says, I want you to imagine you, what you like people to do for you, and then I want you to go do that for other people. Do we want anybody to have a critical spirit towards us? No. Well, we kind of enjoy doing that the other way around sometimes. Do we want other people to look at us and think, boy, I just wish they'd get their act together. We want other people talking to all their friends about us and how we don't have their act together and all the little things we have wrong in our lives. 
the truth is, too, the closer people are to us, the harder it is for us to treat them like we want to be treated. The closer the relationship, sometimes the more we expect from them and the less we give to it. Here's what I think is interesting. Jesus says that the entire law and prophets is filled in this one simple phrase. And so what he's saying to them is some of you have taken the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you've taken that and made it into a checklist of items. But really what the law is is the working out of thinking how would I want to be treated and how can I treat them. We've talked about this. Remember that we talked about in the Old Testament things. You have heard it said, but I say, and things like um, in the Old Testament, if if you have an ox in the ditch, if if you had an ox in the ditch, you'd want somebody to help you. Well, if there's a man with an ox in the ditch, what does the law say to do? Help him. And it's not a formulaic list of checklist items. It is just simply, how do I do for them what I would want them to do for me? Now, here's the reason God can ask that of us. is because that is exactly what God has done for us. God looked at us and said, what would I want them to do for me if they could? And it is, he would purchase us with the blood of his son. And because of the forgiveness we have in Jesus and them going the extra mile, Jesus can say to us, then you go out and give that same kind of consideration to people whether they give it back or not. Sometimes we say, well, I'd be glad to help people out if they would just acknowledge I'm helping them out. Now, we may not say it that way, but that's what we feel. Well, I do and do and do and they don't ever respond. I help and help and help and nothing ever changes. As you think about what is it that you would like others to do for you, and then you do that. What I love about that part of it is we're getting to the point at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to say, okay, now you've heard all this stuff. The question is, are you going to do it or are you just going to listen to it? Because we are pretty good at listening and very good and not very good at doing Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will Father, your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I heard a story, I actually read it preparing for sermon on Sunday and didn't use it, but I think it's interesting because it goes back to God's desire for us and our request of Him. Stories told that during the Civil War, a Confederate soldier was killed in battle, and as they were preparing to dispose of his body, they found a folded piece of paper in his pocket that contained a testimony about prayer. We don't know if the soldier wrote it, if somebody else wrote it, but it's a powerful statement, and this is what it said. I asked for strength that I might achieve. You made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He did not give them to me so that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel a need for God. As for all things that I might enjoy life, I was given life that I might enjoy all things. 
I received very few of the things I asked for, but I received the things I hoped for. Ask, seek, knock, and then begin to treat other people as you would want to be treated. Let's pray.